0: Lock Talk Radio Well, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. How are you tonight? This is Pastor Winfred Burns with the word on Wednesday. Where for oh the past probably ooh three months. Three month three or maybe even more months. We have been studying First Samuel. And the title of the the lesson that we've been t- studying in 1 Samuel is Transition to Transformation. Now, for those of you who have been with us for the entire journey, you understand that what we've done is we've seen how God has taken the nation of Israel. After they had been in the Promised Land, We, and this is immediately after that, or at the end of what we call the judges' period. We picked them up when they were in the land, but they were in the land as 12 separate and distinct tribes um, with the enemy all around them. And what we have been doing is showing how God took these, these 12 individual tribes and formed them into a nation. We have looked and we've seen how God is transforming not only the nation, but how he's changing the priesthood and how they have moved from a theocracy to a monarchy. And we've, tra- we've been looking at how Saul, the first king, was called rejected. We've looked at, and we're now at the point where we're looking at um, Saul, Losing uh, the kingship and and how David is ascending to the throne. That's where we're at now, and we're and in this part of the transformative process, what we're seeing is how God is molding and making David into the king that He wants him to be. How He's bringing David into His purpose. We saw God anoint him. We we saw where God told every told told uh, um, uh, Samuel that He was choosing a man after His own heart. We saw David when he was just a little shepherd boy, forgotten by all, but he had a call on his life. And throughout this whole thing, what we're seeing is transformation after transformation. Now, in this part of our series, what we are seeing is David being placed in the refiner's fire. Hi, right, come on in and get your Bible. Um, we're at 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're just getting ready to get started. Um, and we're seeing David uh, being called into God's refining fire. And the title of our lesson tonight is, this is part four, and it's The Run to the Refiner. But before we review from last week and get started, amen, glad to see everybody tonight. Um, Before we get into um, our lesson tonight and our lesson review, what I'd like to do is just pray, and then I want to uh, do what I said I was going to do all along, and that is just invite somebody to Christ. So before we go any further, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. God, how we thank you for your word, how we thank you for your way, how we thank you that you allow your Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. Now tonight, Father, we need to hear from you. We need to hear from your word. Father, I thank you that you allow me to guide them to your word, but it is up to you by your spirit to lead us through your word to speak to our hearts from your word. Father, we would pray tonight, Father, that you would just give us your word so we can know what to do and then give us your spirit so we can be empowered to do it. Help us, O God, in our study tonight because we can get the words and we can get the interpretation, but unless you speak, it's a dead word it's just dead. So quicken your word within us tonight, even as you explain it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, so last what last week, let me just do a quick review of 21. Um, we've, we're, we've established that although it looks like Saul is chasing David, we know that it's God leading David. And he leads David. Saul chases him out of, the, uh, of his court and of his presence, but God literally leads him away from the presence of Saul because there's some things that God wants to do with David, and in order to do them, he, he needs to take him to a place where he can be refined. And what we've done is we've we've really tried to encourage you in those places of trials and tribulations that you're in, and we've tried to sh- share with you that you are not in that place uh, by mistake. That literally, when we are serving God, when we are walking with the Lord, there are times when He leads us into places where that are, are, are very uncomfortable. There are some of you out there on jobs that are uncomfortable. There are some of you in living, in living conditions that are uncomfortable. Some of you in churches where you're uncomfortable. and It's almost like being in the fire, and you're going, as we said it back in the, uh, in the 90s, you're going through. Well, guess what? It's God who has ordered that trial for you. It's God who's ordered up that tribulation for you, because God is using that fire, that refining fire to mold you and make you for your purpose, and He and the place that He is going to set you. Amen. And I know that I know it's difficult for us to to understand, and 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 the w- one way that I like to talk about it is. It's kind of like getting ready to play when I was playing football and running track. It's kind of like those practices. Those practices were painful, but it was in those practices when we were running lap after lap or it was in the trenches when we were, you know, uh, uh, playing bull in the ring. And it wasn't playing bull in the ring. You were getting the heck slapped out of you. It was during those times that we learned and had our skills refined. So when the real game came along, we were ready to play it. And this is what God is doing now. When the time comes for him, for you to come forward, you are ready. He's peeling off some things that don't need to be there. He's strengthening your faith. He's showing you, he's revealing himself to you in new and different ways. He's showing you himself as a healer, and, and he's helping you to learn not to depend on man, but to depend on him. You're in the fire because God is preparing you for your purpose. And if we had to just really put it into to, to, to a few words, what we'd say is you're going through the process of, Sanctification. You're going to, through the process of becoming holy like the Lord. Amen. So, with with that said, let me just just finish the review. And the review last week is what we saw was um, that um, we saw Saul. We saw Saul, David running from Saul after he got the word from Jonathan that Saul is going to try to kill you, and so he ran to Nob. Know- And when he ran in nob, he met with the priest, and he got a sword, and he got some bread from the priest. We explained all that last week. And he also saw Doeg the Edomite, who will come into play again this week. Um, We we learned some things, and the things that we learned last week was that Psalm 34 uh, was was recorded during his time on the run. We're doing that period of time, and that was, we went through that psalm last week. And if you read chapter 21, if you weren't with us last week, if you read chapter 21, read chapter 21 and then go back and read Psalm 34. Beautiful, beautiful expression. We learned last week that part of the reason that David was in the refiner's fire was that David was going to learn how to pray. And we saw that in, in, in Psalm 34. Prayer. It, that, that that psalm talks about, I cried out unto the Lord. Now, he had went to the priest looking for some relief. He had went to uh, Gath and that king, Akish, uh, looking for some relief, and he couldn't find it either place. But it was out in the wilderness when he began to cry out to God that he learned that God was his refuge, his strength, his rock, his deliverer. And he records that in Psalm 34. And we walked away with some things last week, and one of them was that we wanted to make sure that we embrace God's plan and his process. Uh, the second thing was we, learned, we wanted to learn how to trust God. In every situation, don't give up. Don't, go, go, don't get with the enemy. Stay with God. And the third thing we have is give yourself and all your fears to him. Give yourself and all your fears to him. And and that was what we saw in that, that, that chapter in a nutshell. Those are the application steps. Now what I want to do is stop just for a minute before I go into this week's teaching and remind you that God loves you. God gave his son for you. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I don't know who you are out there who are listening to me, but you don't have a relationship with God. You've never given your life to him. You've never more you've never accepted his son Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And Jesus is our gift from God. Jesus is the one who comes and he dies for our sins, the things that separated us from God. Uh, I know that right now you're probably thinking, Well, I did this wrong and I know God doesn't approve it, and I did that wrong and I know God doesn't approve it, and so I know that I'm a sinner and I know God mad at me. And yeah, you are a sinner, and yeah, God's wrath is can be um, God's God's wrath can come down on you. But God says, No, I love him so much that you know what? I'm going to pay for his sins. I'm going to fix it where he can come back to me. And so God Himself comes, and He and He dies on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross for us, and He pays for our sins and in paying for our sins all we have to do is accept that payment it's like somebody came into to and you had you had overdue bill and god comes in and somebody comes in and pays your bill and you no longer owe and it's yours and that's what god does for us through his son jesus and all we have to do is accept it and how do we accept it we accept it by faith we believe that jesus christ is... He is the Son of God, and we ask him to come into our life. We repent of our sins, meaning that we turn from the way that we are living and are doing things, and we turn to God. And we say, Lord, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he paid for my sins. I asked you to forgive me, and I ask Jesus to come into my life. Please save me in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all you got to do. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I ask him to be my Savior. I confess and repent of my sins. Please, God, come into my heart. And he says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that he will save you, that he'll save you. Amen? So now, with that said, if you, if you, if you do that right now, hallelujah, you, you are saved and you are a child of the King. If you want more information as to how you can do that, if you want to talk about it, you can call me at 929-477-2304, 929-477-2304, or you can just write it across the screen right here, and we can make arrangements to you know, really talk about salvation and make sure that you understand what you're getting into. And if you've done that, find yourself a Bible-believing church that will help you grow, that will help you understand salvation that will help you walk, learn how to walk with God. Amen and amen. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 22. I think I've done everything that I need to do to get us up to speed. Chapter 22, and I'm going to start reading at verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, They went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Herath. Now, in this brief, brief chapter or, or reading that we did, and that was just uh, verses 1 through 5, what we see is David leaving Gath go into the cave of abdullam from the cave of abdullam he travels down to moab the king of moab and then he stays there for a little while after he deposits his mother and his father there and then he go he uh, on order he stays in a fortress or a stronghold for a little while in moab and then he's ordered by the prophet Geth to leave there and go back into Judah and so First of all, let's talk about the cave of Abdullah or what is, what is, what is the cave of Abdullah. Is, a, is is a, a place just south of Gibeah and southeast of Gath. So David runs to this place, and it's a city. And just outside the city, there is a series of caves. And David is hiding out in those caves while he's waiting to while he, in, in running, well, as he runs from Saul. Now, the name of Dulam means a retreat or a refuge, and so David is literally runs from Gath, and he find, and God leads him to a place of refuge and retreat. It's not in a fancy city, but it's in a cave. And if you've ever been in a cave, a lot of us don't want to go into caves because caves are dark places. Caves can be wet. Caves can be spooky. But there's something that that caves are a source of protection. And it's here that David learns to pray it's here in the cave that he learns to rest it's while he's in this dark place that he really learns how to see God isn't it strange that sometimes we have to be placed in the dark to see I know if you've ever been if, if you've ever been one of those that, like me that sometimes I get in the dark. So I can really, really shut out all the distractions around me, the TV's off, there's, there's nothing there, and it's just me in the dark. And that's where I get great clarity. That's where I get a word from the Lord, because it's in the stillness of the night. It's in that secret place where we can, where we can get away from all of the distractions that God can begin to deal with us. And so God literally chases David into a place of retreat. God places him in a place where it is a refuge all around him. And then he begins to, to show David himself. And David can't see the plan that is taking place. But the plan begins to unfold. Because what happens? While he's there... His parents as well as his brothers come to him, and the reason why they come to him is because just as Saul is after David, Saul is going to kill them too. He is going to kill, Saul is out to kill any and everybody who threatens the throne. Secondly, uh, in addition to his family that comes to him, the Bible says that Anybody who was in distress, anybody that was in debt, anyone that was discontented comes to David and he becomes a leader over them. Now, it's interesting here that that this narrator tells us um, that these people begin to gather around us. but in first chronicles, it gives us some more information. About the people that gathered around David doing his wilderness run, and turn over with me to uh, First Chronicles uh, chapter 12. Turn there for a second, and let's see something about these people because I think this is going to be eye-opening. I know it was for me. First Chronicles chapter 12, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it. When you get a chance, when you you can get a chance to, I know oftentimes we skip Chronicles because it's, it's just kind of boring sometimes. But here, verse, uh, first Chronicles chapter 12, verse 8, it says, Some Gadites defected to David at his stronghold in the desert. They were brave warriors, ready for battle and able to handle the shield and spear. Their faces were the faces of lions, and they were as swift as gazelles in the mountains. Ezra was the chief, Obadiah the second in command, Eliab the third, Mishmana the fourth, Jeremiah the fifth, Etiah the sixth, Eliel the seventh, Johanan the eighth, Elzebad the ninth, Jeremiah the tenth, and Macbani the eleventh. These Gadites were army commanders, The least was a match for a hundred and the greatest for a thousand. It was they who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it was overflowing all its banks, and they put to flight everyone living in the valleys to the east and to the west. Other Benjamites and some men from Judah also came to David in his stronghold. David went out to meet them and said to them, If you have come to me in peace to help me, I am ready to have you unite with me. But if you have come to betray me to my enemies, when my hands are free from violence, may the God of our fathers see it and judge you. Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the thirty, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are with you, O son of Jesse. Success, success to you, and success to those who help you, for your God will help you. So David received them and made them leaders of his raiding party. So what is happening here in 1st Samuel 22 is not the people that come around him are beginning are the beginnings of the army and the people that God is choosing to advance and bring together the kingdom of God. So the first, one of the things that we see is that God is using quote, a bunch of ragtag people, a bunch of people who are discontented, people who are in distress, people who are in uh, debt. These are the people that God is choosing to gather, to, to bring around his anointed, and these are the people that David learns to lead. And notice, these are not a bunch of weaklings now. Remember these, what I just read you about the Gadites. It says, the least of them could take down a hundred, and the greatest, a thousand. So these were warriors. Some of these people that are coming around David are warriors. And in order to lead warriors, in order to lead strong men, You've got to be a strong man yourself. You've got to be a man of power, a man of integrity, because these people have taken enough junk, and now they're looking for the real thing. And so in David, they find the real thing. But David is not just accepting of anybody that comes to him, and the Spirit of God is speaking even as we teach. He's not, he's not, he's not accepting of just anybody that runs upon him. He tests them, and he says, look, if you're for me, I'll, I'll take you, but if you're not, God's gonna deal with you. Notice He doesn't reject them; He lets them know this is real. This is the real deal. Now, if you come to betray me to my enemy, to the enemy, it's the real deal. And so here we find now God shaping David into uh, to being a leader, and He's bringing the people around him. David that will help David ascend to the throne and unite Israel. This is all taking place while he is in the caves, in the stronghold, in the wilderness, as he runs from Saul. Isn't that something? Now at one point, he leaves the caves of Adullam. Now you got to understand, and hopefully you've got a good Bible, because if you've got a good Bible, when David the caves of Adullam are in they're just uh they're, they're south of Gath, southeast or you know, southeast of Gath, south of um, um, Bethlehem, in the area of Judah. And if you look, he's going to travel from the caves of Abdullam all the way past the sea and to get, I think it's the, the Dead Sea. Um, he's going to pass that Dead Sea and he's going to go around into the land of Moab. That's quite a distance that he travels to take his parents to the king of Moab. And you might ask, so why did he take his parents to the king of Moab? Well, he, remember Ruth? who marries Boaz. If you look at the genealogy, I believe Ruth is David's great-grandmother. I think, yeah, I think his great-grandmother. So he's kin, and Ruth was a Moabite. So he goes over into that land seeking sanctuary based on kinship. And he says, look, watch my mother and my father. And then he takes up residence and, and some, people, some people are thinking that maybe he's taking up residence in uh, when this whole, this whole scene takes place in the case of Abdullam. And then, you know, when they talk about the stronghold, they talk about back in Abdullam. No, this stronghold is in Moab. And the word that they use for stronghold actually means it's kind of like a fortress. And some have, have even posited that this might have been Masada. And Masada comes up again in the period of the Maccabees. But anyway, um, what's happening here is he's in this fortress, in this fortified place, and the prophet Gad comes to him and says, don't get comfortable here. This is not where you're supposed to be. Get back over into Judah. Now, a couple of reasons why this could have happened. One of the reasons could be that... um, that, that, that David is not supposed to make any kind of treaty with the Moabites because eventually he's going to have to deal with them because the Moabites are the enemy of God. And they were supposed to be eradicated from the land. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is that that's not the – no need to get in, in all comfortable in a place that you're not supposed to be because that's what, not where you're going to learn. Where you're going to learn is in the place that God wants you to be at. And God doesn't want him to get all comfortable and, and the next thing you know, he him and Moab, the king of Moab are all chummy and he's learning their ways and worshiping their God. Gad comes along and, see, and he brings him a word from the Lord and the word from the Lord is not here. Get back over in Judah. Here we find something about David that is lacking in Saul. David gets a word from the Lord, and it is a prophetic word, and he obeys the prophetic word. That's some learning there. Saul got a prophetic word from Samuel, and Saul said, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to let Agag live I'm gonna keep all the Amalek, this stuff, that, this good stuff that these Amalekites had, and I'm gonna keep it for myself. But and he loses the kingdom. But remember what is this bleeding of sheep? Don't you know it's, it's, it's better to to obey than the sacrifice and the hearken. Remember that passage. And and so Saul is disobedient. To a prophetic word. And David is obedient to a prophetic word. David has learned that he not only is not the king yet, but even when he is the king, that God, the King of Kings, is his master. Saul seems to think that he run it, just like those other kings that that in those other places, they run it. What can we learn from that real quick? we have to learn that as God molds us and makes us, we have to learn how to hear and obey the prophetic word. Now, what do you mean a prophetic word? God's word is, you. when it comes to prophecy, prophecy is very dimensional, and it has a past, present, and future. And it, had, and it, it hits on a physical or a natural level as well as a spiritual level. And what we have to learn is how to hear and discern what God is saying. And as we hear and discern what God sends through his prophets, because even though David is the king, God brings alongside of him prophets even though you might have some title in your church or some function in your church, God, there is a function, a prophetic function, that is in operation within the body, and we have to learn how to honor the prophetic word of God. I'm going to say it again. We have to learn how to honor and obey the prophetic word of God. Of God. One more time, we have to learn to obey and honor the prophetic word of God. Now, why did you say that three times? Because I wanted you to hear prophetic word of God. Because there's a lot of people that's walking around here, and they're prophesying, and they're prophets, but it's not the word of God. It is not the prophetic word of God. And so we have to hear with our spiritual ears, and we constantly have to ask the question, Lord, uh, how do we discern? Well, first of all, we try all spirits to see if they be of God. Secondly, God won't speak against himself, and so when somebody comes and says something that does not line up with the word of God, that's a false prophet. Thirdly, you when you see the spirit of God, of the prophet. You see, a lot of times I'm listening to them and I'm listening very, very closely, and I'm evaluating what they say based upon what the Word of God says. And that's why you have to study to show yourself approved. That's why you have to spend your time in prayer and spend your time with God because you are one of his sheep and what does he say? My sheep hear my voice. And another one they won't follow. So you learn to be so sensitive to the voice of God and the word of God that when someone comes along with a word that is not of God, you can say, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, keep it moving. Keep it moving. That's not from God. That does not comport with anything that God says." And so you have to learn how to hear from God. And David is learning. As he said, he's learned how to pray. Now he's learning how to hear. He learned how to pray. Now he's learning how to hear. Learning to pray and hear from God is part of the transformative process. It's part of your growth as a disciple. It's part of your growth as a Christian. It's part of your growth to purpose. It's part of you being transformed into what God has purposed you to be. David's learning this. And David not only hears the word, but he obeys the word. He gets out of that place of comfort. He gets out of that enemy territory, and he comes back. He leaves that place, and he goes to the forest of Herath. Now, this forest of Herath is back in Judean territory. It's, um, It's south, again, it's south of Bethlehem. But it's in the Judean territories. It's actually not really a forest as we think of forest. It's really a place outside of the city of Hereth That's filled with ravines and caves and crevices, and it's a mountainous area. And it's this area that Saul is going to be chasing David in real soon. And so we get a. We I want you to. Get a picture of that, and one of the things that you can do is you can literally go out on the internet and you can see pictures of what that wilderness could have looked like. Because oftentimes we in 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 our with our urban backgrounds and and here in America, we what we see in our mind when we think of a forest and what we see in 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 Israel back in those days are two different things. And so you really don't get. That You really don't see how dramatic this setting is. Amen? So let's keep going. So Gad tells him to leave, and he get, he gets out of that stronghold. He gets away from that place in Moab, and he runs to the place uh, uh, the of the force of Horeb. Now, we're at verse 6. Oh, I'm running out of time. i gotta, I got to stop lollygagging with this. Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered, and Saul, spear in hand, was seated under the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah, with all his officials standing around him. Saul said to them, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse, None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. So what Saul does is Saul, he's sitting at court under a tree and his camera's tree resembles a big oak tree. And he's sitting there with all of his officials and his commanders and if I had to interpret the speech into modern day language, it would probably sound something like this: Look at look at y'all! I've been good to y'all. I've I've, I've given all of y'all high positions, got y'all good jobs everywhere. And now, rather than y'all helping me, all of y'all against me. Even my own son is against me. Y'all y'all knew he was against me, and y'all didn't even bother to tell me that he's the one that's in, uh, encouraging David to try to kill me, to take my throne. He said, Are you gonna get, you going to get the same kind of treatment from somebody else? Is, that, is the son of Jesse, who is, uh, 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 who, is he going to give you all of these props and make, and, and make you big shots like I have? That's what he says to them. And he says that, they're in, that it's a conspiracy. And that word that conspiracy is basically, that they use, the Hebrew word basically means that you have formed an unlawful alliance. So now he's basically saying to him that you are aligning yourself against the law. You are conspiring to do me in. And he's accusing everybody. Because if you think about it, he's accused his daughter. Now he's accused his son, and now he's accused of all of his officials. And what's their answer? Notice that they don't answer at all. But look, look, verse 9. But Doeg, the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions, and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So Doeg, who is an Edomite. Now let's talk about Doeg. Doeg, we saw him in the last chapter, and we know that Doeg is a um, he is a, the chief shepherd. He is a servant of Saul. Secondly, Doeg is an Edomite. Now the Edomites were descendants of Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau. Now they are literally. And they warred in the womb, and we'll be fighting the Edomites until they go off the scene. God gave them special privileges and places, and he, uh, the Israelites weren't supposed to hate them, they weren't supposed to attack them or anything. But the Edomites, every chance they got, they were fighting. And, and just like Jacob and Esau, here's the Edomites and Israel still fighting. And Doeg has probably been captured. In a war with Edomites, and Saul has made him a servant. Uh, he has proven himself to be so good at what he does that he is the chief shepherd. And Doeg is looking to score some points with Saul, and he so he rats out Ahimelech, and basically he makes it sound as if Ahimelech is a part of the conspiracy. And so he says, a him, he said, I saw him. He gave him Goliath's sword, he gave him some bread, and he inquired of the Lord for him. And so what did Saul do? Saul says, I'm at verse 11. Then the king sent for the priest of son of Ahitub, and his father's whole family, who were the priests of Nob. And they all came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub. Yes, my lord, he answered. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. Ahimelich answered, answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of the bodyguard and highly respected in your household? Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this affair. But the king says, you will surely die, Himalich, you and your father's whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priest of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike the priest of the Lord. The king then ordered Doeg." You turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. But Abiathar, a son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, That day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your father's whole family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who is seeking your life is seeking mine also. You will be safe with me. At this point in time, what we see is that crazy, crazy Saul determined by any means necessary to keep the throne. And he, is go- he has accused everyone of conspiring against him, and he's accused them wrongly, for the one who has conspired against him is God himself. And what's happening is we see God's prophetic word being fulfilled before our eyes. What do you mean we see it being fulfilled? First of all, we see Saul losing his grip on the throne. Saul is trying to work against the word of God. God has said you're not going to, that you're not going to be king. It won't pass to your son. This is it. It's all over. And Saul is determined that he is going to get it his way. Somebody just learned something there. Secondly, we see the word of God being fulfilled with the priest of Nob, Because if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, let's run back there real quick. Let's, Let's go real quick. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Flip over. Again, I know that sometimes you say, well, you know, okay, we're being real detailed. We must learn this word. We must learn this word. Amen? First Samuel chapter 2, verse 27. Remember this? If you've been with us for a little while, it says, Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when you were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made by fire to the the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offerings that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares... I promised that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. Ooh, that's a word. That that flows right into what's, what's happening to Saul. He wouldn't honor the word of God, and God won't honor him. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your man in your family's line, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel in your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared only to be blind. Be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your hearts. And all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hopni and Phineas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mine. I will firmly establish his heart, and he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of, piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. You see what's happening here? God is fulfilling his word. Uh, 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 um, Ahitab, let me make sure I get everything right. I moved on there. Um, Excuse me, Ahimelech, rather, the son of Ahitab, descends from the house of Eli. All of these priests that are there are from the house of Eli. And God uses. Saul to fulfill his word by wiping them out. He wipes every last one of them out with the exception of one. Only one escapes. And this one will go all the way through until he is removed from his office by Solomon. See this, the word of the Lord is sure. The word, when God speaks, his word will be fulfilled. We can try to resist his word all we want to. And one of the things that the Lord said to me today is partial obedience is disobedience. Now, I know part of that was for me because he was basically telling me, you better do exactly what I said. And I say to you tonight, I'll share that with you. If you are hem-hawing and and half-stepping with doing what the Lord told you to do, partial obedience is disobedience. Saul sins for Ahimelech and his family and accuses them of treason. Ahimelech defends himself brilliantly, so brilliantly that. They don't do anything. They can't kill him. The official he orders his men to kill him. They say Mm-mm, because they realize, number one that this man is innocent, and number two this is the these are the priests of God. So they got more sense than the king. And when he comes to David, you know what David does? I love what David does. David says, he says I should have dealt with Doeg. I should have dealt with him. I knew he was going to do that, and I'm responsible. The next thing you see, David takes responsibility. Every time that you see Saul and Saul does something wrong, Saul says, well, the people made me do it. Well, I was, you know, I was waiting and I was scared you wouldn't come. But when David is confronted with an issue, he steps to the front and he said, that's on me. Stay with me. I'll protect you because the guy is after you, he after me too that's a king, that's a leader, that's a person that you can follow, that's a man of integrity, that's a man who shows that he is going to do, as they say, deal righteously. But he, we also get his response to that. Uh, take a look at, uh, we got time, we've got time before we start summing things up. Take a look at what he writes about this time because Sometimes we get a chance to see David's heart in the Psalms, and David composes a psalm while he's in uh, the, the wilderness. When he, or oh, excuse me, let's see, when he finds out about Nob, don't know where he's at. Well, let's go back and look. Let's make sure I say this right. He says, "Doesn't tell me where he was at." He's. A, If he's in the forest of Arath, okay, because it says where he had been discovered. Uh, he, he's in the forest of Arath at that time, um, and I can make that conclusion simply because uh, Saul's going to start chasing him. So he didn't find him. He didn't know where he was at when he was over in Moab, but now he comes back and he's been discovered. That's what that that's what that tells me. So um, while he is in in the wilderness, he composes a psalm about. Um he composes a psalm about Doeg and it's Psalm fifty two. Flip over to Psalm fifty two. Let's read that together real quick. So we can see what David's heart what he's feeling in his heart at that point in time. Psalm fifty two. Let's read it real quick. And again, I'm explaining what needs to be explained, but I'm really, really if you're in your word, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. Psalm fifty two. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You who practice deceit, you love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. Selah. You love every harmful word, oh, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at him, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. And so what he does is, first of all, he takes the actions of Doeg, and rather than concern himself with getting back at Doeg, he turns Doeg over to God. He says, God's going to get you because you did wrong. It was your tongue. You you swore falsely. And so in this... He turns Doeg over to God, and then he begins to say, God, I trust you. I trust in your name. Go back. I don't have have a lot of time to spend in that psalm because I could spend the next half hour just going through the psalm. But go back and read that. Go back and read that psalm. Because what we learn from this psalm and from David is David learns to take his enemies, the Lord in prayer. He doesn't do like like Saul. He doesn't take it in his own hands to discipline and go out and kill. But instead, he said, you know what? It's wrong to kill unnecessarily, even though he's a man of war and he's willing to. I mean, you can be an Amalekite or Amorite or a Philistine. You're gone because you are against God. But a foreign alien in the land that's under the protection of God, he says, that guy's wrong. He's trying to get wealthy the wrong way. He's trying to get favor the wrong way. God is going to deal with him because he is not righteous. He is not in right standing with God. He is not walking upright before the Lord. He is an evil person, and evil will be dealt with. You see, in this thing, Saul thinks that everybody's against him and that he is going to try to work as hard as he can to make sure that God's word doesn't come to pass. I want to ask you something as we get ready to close down tonight. Are you working with God or working against God? Are you being a Saul or David? Are you accepting of the teachings that God has given you, are you accepting of the discipline that you are experiencing at the hand of God? Do Are you in a dark place moaning and groaning about what's going on in your life or are you in that dark place right now looking and listening for God? Are you asking the Lord, Lord, I... I don't understand. Remember two chapters ago when, when he he went to when David and Jonathan were talking to me? He says, What did I do? Are you at that point in time where you saying God I don't know what I did? Or are you at the point in time where you are saying, like David said to, to the king of Moab, can my parents stay here until I find out what God is going to do for me? You missed that, didn't you? You missed that. Sometimes we we we're in that process of being refined because God is doing something to us and for us. Are you at that place where now you're saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but let your will be done. God, I don't understand how is going to work out, but let your will be done. Have you received a prophetic word from God and you haven't obeyed it? Are you acting like Saul? Or did you receive that word and you say, if God says it, that's cool. I'm on it. I'm going to do it. I believe God. I trust God with everything. In part, one of the things that we learn in the fire is we learn to trust God. God, we have our faith built up. We went into the fire and we were shaky, but when we come out of that fire, oh, we come out strong, we ready to go. Why? Because all of that doubt, all of that fear that has been burned off, we've been through this with the Lord. We know what the Lord will do. If it's sickness or, or our money is funny or whatever obstacle we face, we know the Lord will make a way somehow. And then we can be like the Hebrew boys. Even if he don't make a way, he's still able to do it anyway. Maybe he's using this occasion to call us home. We don't know. But we trust God. So what can we learn tonight? First of all, God is in charge of your fire. God knows where you are. He knows how long you've been in there. You might look somebody might look at you and they might say, look at you like a piece of cornbread and say, Ooh, that looked done. But if you stick a fork in if you stick a fork or a knife in the middle of it, you know ain't nothing but dough down and then all leave it in there. And that's what God is doing with you. He says, You look done, but I know you're not done. I got to leave you in there a little while longer. There's still some doubt left. There's still some there's still some hard headedness left. There's still some some emotional turmoil left where you you get shook too easy, and I gotta leave you in there until you learn how to just trust in me, even when the, the, the as they say your life is rocking and reeling like a drunken man. Second thing is that we learned tonight is that the wilderness is a place of refuge and retreat. The wilderness is a place where we can have great. The wilderness is a place that we learn how to see in the dark. Thirdly, there's a conspiracy, but God is involved. Evil people seek favor and gain by any means necessary. Saints of God do it God's way. There's a curse on those who do evil, and there's blessings on the righteous. God uses trials. God assembles people around us that will help us achieve kingdom purposes. This is all a part of your transformation process. Well, that's all I have time for tonight. Go back through the notes. Go back through the Psalms. Go back in prayer And spend time, just spend some time, just spend some time on your own without my voice in the background, without anybody else, just you and God in that word because God wants to minister to you. Just as he's ministered to us collectively tonight, he wants to minister to you individually, one-on-one. There's a lot more that he wants to say in that passage that has not been said, And I want to tell you that God will do it. God will speak to you if you let him. Hallelujah. Glory to his name. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for the time tonight that we have spent. We pray, oh God, that you would now cement this word in our heart, continue to speak to us as you have never spoken to us before. God, help us to understand the prophecies that you, have, that you have spoken through others as well as that you've whispered in our ears. Help us to be obedient to everything that you have said, to trust you in, all, in your word and all that you say, and to have the expectation that you are not a man that you should lie nor the son of man that you should repent. But when you say it, you do it, because your word never comes back to you void, but instead accomplishes its purpose. Oh, thank you for for transforming us into what you want us to be. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name, Amen. And before I sign off, let me give you just this final blessing. Let's see. I, it should, my my Bible should just I, follow the numbers. It should just it normally just fall right there. Yep, it sure does. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And it's for you. It's for your family and household. It's for your community and for everyone that you come in contact with. God bless you. And I'll see you next week. The Word on Wednesday. Where we will cover off on 1 Samuel Chapter 23. I pray that you're enjoying it. And enjoy the rest of your evening. Have a wonderful night. God bless you.